Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Pharrell on the bench in the biggest way possible. Hanging out the band seat, broken in the bed, up over the bed, attitude, hanging around a bunch of bad editors, bad teeth, bad luck, bad dude, bad bread, bad attention, bad vibes. It's the FOTB pod, baby. And I bet you didn't see this one coming. I'm watching nothing but big waves surfing. I love surfing. I love watching surfing. I love trying surfing. I actually love seeing them cop, big, air, and even wreck. I like watching the best servers from all over the world surf all over the world. I like when they road trip. I like when they find the biggest swells. I like when they party. I like even the foreign language dudes that I don't understand a word that's coming out of their mouth. I've been looking for nothing but kick-ass surfing movies and videos. And I have found them. Actually, they only said it was going to be 12 to 15 feet, I think. Just being there and having the opportunity to like be that close to something so powerful um, was pretty special. After what I just saw, I ruled nothing out. Like it just shocked my reality. There could be a 200 footer behind this for all I know and we're all dead. The noise that it made coming down the reef was out of control. It's rushing down the reef and people are just scratching, get out of the way. There's the white rhino. It's good to like be in awe of it and the power and the beauty and you know, just God's creation right there alive and in effect. These dudes are no joke whatsoever. All they do is rage. Anybody's ever seen come through the Tasman Sea. On, on the maps, it looks incomprehensible. It is so big, it's so purple, it's so tight, and it's a direct shot up the guts right to Tavarua. A set came and broke on the outer ledge, and everyone on the boats, like, you couldn't get your board ready fast enough. Everyone's freaking. That barrel was the vision I had, that memory I got is like incredible. It was pretty incredible to have a swell that was that big with that great of conditions that was actually open to the most talented surfers in the world all at one time. There's wonders in the world, you know? If 
if you're a surfer, that's like one of the wonders of the world. I witnessed what is probably the biggest wave I've ever photographed, biggest barrel I've ever photographed, maybe 50 foot high and about 60 foot throwing out. The mindset of the big wave surfer is so different than just your everyday surfer. They're out there to get the craziest wave ever ridden. That's their dream. Nobody just shows up anywhere and rips. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Shore Native Colony Chapman had to be brought back to life after a bad wipeout at one of his Out of quite a few different wipeouts, pretty much all of them feel like they're gonna die. At that moment, I'm lacing up my leash on my board. I look over at Kelly, I'm like, did you see that? Kelly's taking off his leash and he said to me, that's not what I'm here for. Some of these waves, literally, I kid you not, are, I mean, no joke, 50, 60, 70, 80 foot waves. I'm talking eight story buildings toppling over on you. Tubes that they're riding doing 50 miles an hour on a board. It is insanity. And it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. These dudes are absolutely whack jobs. And they're the best in the business. Like Bruce Irons, Wassel, Garcia. It's no joke. I mean, you can only imagine this spot that they found in Fiji. On the west coast of Fiji lies Cloudbreak, the holy grail of waves. Although one of the most aspired waves to surf, Cloudbreak was off limits for the majority of the population. In 2010, the Fiji government opened the break to the public, allowing surfers who had been chomping at the bit for years to finally see what this legendary place had to offer. Once the word got out that the government was allowing anybody to surf out there, people from around the world started flying to Fiji. You know, you had to go to this high-end resorts cover or Namotu. And then when they opened it up to the public, I was like, hey, kidding, I'm going. There was this big swell. I remember that was the first swell after the decree to open the breakout to the public. It was the first time that it was legal to go surf there. No longer was Tavarua the only way to get out there to surf cloud break. It was almost cloud break's big coming out to the world party. And this was kind of like the first time it was ever going to be surfed and on possibly the greatest swell that they've ever had before. So I was working for Volcom at the time because Bruce Irons had gotten me the job to be his personal photographer and travel with him. And we found out about the swell and both of us had our tickets booked immediately. Partner, lifeguard partner, I was working at Rockpiles. My partner came up to me and said, have you seen this swell on the map heading to Fiji? It's amazing perfect conditions, and it looks like kegging 15 to 18 feet. I said, no, I haven't seen it. I'm scheduled to work the next week straight, so I can't make it. So I'm going up to talk to the boss right now. I'm gonna go. So he goes up, he comes back down, now he's got a frown on his face. What's wrong? 
boss said, because I'm a ski operator, I can't make it. If I was just a beach lifeguard like you, I'd have a chance. I said, oh, really? So I marched upstairs, talked to him. He said, I can cover you. Can't cover the other guy, but go for it. Good luck. We saw this thing just push up and everyone was freaking out. Oh, it's gonna be epic. Let's go. So everyone was just freaking and we all flew down there. I remember jumping on a plane with you know, a bunch of guys from Hawaii and that, and most of them had never been there, but this was our, our opportunity. There's a big swell going to cloud ray. We all heard of cloud ray. We didn't know how to get out there. We didn't know where it was, but we'd seen these picture books and we'd seen these pictures, we'd seen these videos and we're like, we're going to cloud ray because it's the most perfect wave in the world. It's the longest left-hand barrel we've ever seen. And everyone keeps talking about this wave, so we got to go. Next thing I know, I'm on a plane and I show up in Fiji and it's just like they said, it's 10 to 15 feet, it's bluebird conditions. It was one of those moments where you just thought to yourself, I can't even believe that I'm here seeing this. It wasn't even crowded. Huge, perfect left-hand barrels, sunny, bluebird, not a drop of water out of place. And it all came together and was exactly what we expected. These guys are absolute badasses. <laughs> I mean to tell you, they're talking about 15 feet. I'm talking about 15 feet over their heads. Forget about everything else. And they were left barrels. These guys are going to their left. I mean, usually these guys are rolling right. These crazy mother Pharrellers are going left in the middle of Fiji and it had never been surfed before. And these guys were absolutely licking their chops and stoked out of their minds. Speaking of badasses, you got to listen to the great Nathan Fletcher. To this day, I don't think that they've really had a day where it was that big and glassy. They've had big days and this and that. But for some reason, that was like five or six hours of just perfect Fiji glass. So really that day was, I felt when I caught my wave, was the wave of my life. Probably the best wave I'll ever catch because it was like, I don't know, 20 feet in just sheet glass, big blue, perfect left. Yeah, that was the best wave of my life. And then also the experience of sharing the board with Bruce and having him paddle out and catch the wave. You know, one of the best waves of his life on the board um, on the same day, it was just, it was really insane. See, Cole would always experiment with these different shaped boards, and I remember he came out with this kind of like rounded nose board, and I was like, bruh, it looks like a mini tanker. Why are you out on that thing? And um, that wave came, and it was definitely one of the standout sets of the morning. It was the biggest closeout I've ever seen in my life. So I'm like, here we go. I'm gonna make this thing, I'm gonna make it. I can see all the boats. And as I kind of came up that last bit, the implosion from the water below kind of hit the, the board and I kind of fell. And then I remember coming out like upside down out into the sunlight and just going. I didn't even surf the rest of the day. I just went back to the boat. You know, that was the best way of my life. I mean, these dudes are evil. You should have seen this dude wreck. He went down so hard and when the wave hit him and all the white cap hit him, he blew out and landed on his back. He looked like he'd been thrown off of a roof of a skyscraper. And he even said it. I was done for the day. Kaput, see ya. I've already had enough. 
wave of my life. I don't even care if I wrecked because he was rocking it for at least 30 seconds before the thing bit him and caught him. And it was evil. I mean, badass Bruce Irons caught the biggest barrel you ever seen in your life. And it was just utterly the most spectacular looking shot I've ever seen or watched anyone ride a wave in my life. That barrel is the vision I had. That memory I got is like incredible. That was like one of the best, you know, surf, the best ways I've ever surfed in my life. That day that I got the shot with the red board, and I almost drowned on that wave. That was the closest I've been to. Blacking out, I guess, underwater. Not, not, not coming up on time. He thought he was going to die. I mean, that's how hardcore these waves were in Fiji. No joke, son. I mean, these dudes are absolutely nuts. The mindset of the big wave surfer is so different than just your everyday surfer. They're out there to get the craziest wave ever ridden. That's their dream. And they're either going to get the most incredible ride, the greatest thrill of their life, or they're going to take the heaviest most death-defying wipeout that they could have ever imagined taken. I mean, these guys, when they wreck, it's like a car crash. I mean, it is unbelievable. You can't even make this stuff up. When you see him wipe out, you're just like, how is that guy not dead? I mean, the great surf photographer Brian Bielman talks about how crazy these dudes are and how they risk death every time out. The things they're doing now on waves are incomprehensible, you know, and and it's crazy and the dangers they're facing, every single wave ridden is a death-defying wave when it comes to huge waves like that. So many surfers have come so close to dying and they're willing to take that risk and they do take it. I mean, these dudes get just absolutely obliterated. It looks like they break every bone in their body when they crash. And there's another badass place that they go. And I've been there before, believe it or not, in Tahiti. In the heart of the French Polynesian islands lies a wave as thick as it is tall crashing onto below sea level dry reef, bringing surfers head on with the prospect of death. Welcome to Chopu. Just sounds evil, doesn't it? Little Chopu, you wanna get a little Chopu on your shaker? The story is, is I've been to Papiat Rea, Tea Marea. I sailed the South Pacific and the French Polynesian Islands. It's badass, Tahiti rules. I mean, legit, these are the deepest barrels you ever seen in your life. I mean, these things are just ridiculous. I mean, dangerous, evil. I mean, you got to be sick in the head to ride these things. I mean, when these dudes start riding the wave, it's like eight foot. And then all of a sudden. Mind-blowing. You can't even predict it. It's pretty much one of the greatest displays of Mother Nature that you can see in experience if you want a piece of it so much force from the water sucking up the reef and throwing over that even though it doesn't show any size if you're anywhere close to that energy you would get sucked over the falls so radically just the amount of power and energy that it can produce in one area is definitely um different than probably anywhere in the world. I mean, these waves, to see it, it really is mind-blowing. You can't even describe it. You'd give anything in the world to be able to do it. You just couldn't do it. That's just the bottom line. These guys are pros. They are on a different level. They're from a different planet. You have to be psychotic. 
the onions it takes, the stones it takes to get on a board and ride these things. I mean, I've gotten on boards in Huntington Beach and little five to ten foot waves will scare the hell out of you. I mean, just absolutely frighten you. You'll be shaken. And then you think these things are easy. When you look at them, the beauty of them and the size of them, you're just like, wow, that is so amazing. I just can't get enough of it. When I watch it, it's so beautiful. And the glass water, and it's just so inviting and gorgeous. And then the reality of it is, if you were out there, you would be in fear of your life without a doubt. So when they were down there, one of the waves was the most vicious wreck and biggest wave they ever saw in their life. That was a big, and on the ski and you're looking in and it's little and that huge thing, you're like, holy God, this shows heavy. He did a wheelie in the barrel and that's because the wave, like I said, was standing up so fast all at once. He had to do that to even make it as far as he did. What I was doing was, it was like went through the foam ball and it sucked me up real high and Right there, I figured the only chance I had was to try and like jump down and reconnect. And so it was kind of like a last chance effort. But this was one of those waves that was as heavy as it looked. And there were surfers all over the world asking the question, how did Nathan Fletcher not die in this wave? I probably got one or two covers from that that shot. Um, I think what that sequence I probably shot about 50 frames. The cool thing about it is that Nathan nearly pearls three or four times. Like if you go way back when he's dot in the bottom of the frame, you can see him punching through his sections. You know, and I it was like I look at it and his nose is just underwater a couple of times or his white water comes up and he bounces over the top of it. I mean it was a, an amazing amazing way. He didn't even know how big that wave was. Like he left like the next day. I remember I sent Nathan a picture going like, Stone had a shot looking into the barrel and he looked so little. I remember it was like a, it looked like a phone shot. And then I sent it to him. The next day, the next morning, um, Bruce texted me a picture of somebody's shot of it. And, uh, what I thought it really was, was me jumping off on the first wave and I thought I was halfway underwater. And then I realized, no, that was how small I was. You know, honestly, I still to this day say it's the craziest wave ever ridden by a human being. And Nathan kind of came out and caught that giant monster and it just sort of, it just made it, it sort of ruined it for the rest of toe surfing because no one could ever top that. Just flat out can't even believe this wave that he rode and had it and was on it and then blew out. He had to wreck. It was just so monstrous. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. 
I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down and too many people fall victim to the picture perfect image of the high life. So I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we going to learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is going to be your church, your turn up and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. As the day carried on, the crew scored some of the best waves ever seen. While hypnotized in the moment, no one could predict what lied just beyond the horizon. I knew for a fact that the tide was going to switch at about three, four o'clock. Kelly did too. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting. So at that moment, I finished my duties as a commentator. Kelly and I jumped on a boat. We went out. The first thing we saw when we got to the lineup is the biggest waves anybody's ever seen. When that set first started to appear on the horizon, we, we, we could just see the lines coming in. And it was just absolutely huge. Like I've been out at Fiji 10, 20 times and seen huge sets and I'd never seen anything like this. I mean, the feeling that we all had in our gut as this thing hit the lineup. I'm watching it come down the reef and just doing these ungodly things. And I was paddling over it, but I wanted to kind of stall at the, because I wasn't really sure if I was going to make it over or not. But the second that I knew I was going to make it over that first wave, I tried to go over as slowly as possible because I wanted a real look at the transition. There's a spray coming off the back of the wave and I can't see anything yet, but what I do see is just black wall of water across. I remember thinking, there it is, this is it. This wave is so perfect. I've never seen anything like this in my whole entire life. It was just like survival. Okay, I'm paddling because I'm gonna die if I'm gonna get sucked over on this wave. Okay, it's, I'm shaking talking about it. The noise that it made coming down the reef was out of control. It was, it was rushing down the reef. And people are just scratching to get out of the way. I witnessed what is probably the biggest wave I've ever photographed, biggest barrel I've ever photographed, maybe 50 foot high and about 60 foot thrown around. Coolest thing was Mark Healy paddling up the face of this wave, barely making it over uh, the first wave of the set. And I remember I just turned and I just started paddling and I heard Tweety like right under his yelling, go, go. And I remember looking up the reef and I remember seeing the lip line just detonating on the reef. And I remember looking down and I remember seeing Healy like way down there as I'm paddling up. And I'm paddling like up and over, yeah? And I'm looking down at him and looking at this barrel, the biggest barrel I've ever seen. And I just see him like, dive underneath <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not him right now. What a lot of people don't realize as well is that when those big waves pass, there's a lot of momentum even after you paddled over it that's pulling you back. So my first strokes to get going and, and try to get under this next wave of undetermined size, I'm still going backwards. I'm just watching myself lose ground and burn more energy. So I'm like, oh boy, here we go. I'm probably not going to make it. This is just an apocalyptic view that I have in front of me. 
okay, I gotta time my strokes. How much energy am I willing to use right now to chance getting under it while still keeping my ability to possibly hold my breath for a really long time and take a really intense impact? Until the second one went by, then I heard everybody yelling. And I was like, oh no, what happened? I'm in Fiji all the time, and I've never seen a wave like that. This thing was absolutely the most gargantuan wave you've ever seen in your life. So this announcer, dude, Wassel, he usually calls the event in Fiji, and he said, you know what, screw this, I need to get out on this 10-foot board. It just changed the whole vibe of the place. It was like, you know, somebody dropped a bomb. Um, at that moment, I'm lacing up my leash on my board. I look over at Kelly, I'm like, did you see that? Kelly's taking off his leash. And he said to me, that's not what I'm here for. And I put on my leash, I said, that's exactly what I'm here for. And I jumped in the water and paddled out. I paddled out and there's 10 guys in a line. And I went up to every single one of them and I shook their hand and I hugged them. And I told them what I had seen. And I'm shaking, I'm hugging, I'm telling them all these great things. And as I go down the line, I end up in pole position. Okay, and all of a sudden, set pumps on. He came out and he looked at me and he's all like, you got me, I got you. And there it is. And I'm on this giant yellow banana 10-2 and everybody goes, go, Wassel! And I said, no, 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 I'll wait, I'll wait. And they said, no, go! So I flipped around, I went, I, I, and you know, at this point, I don't even know what happens. right out, just paddled right out, turned around, that wave came, he did the Bronco, the Dave Wassel bucking Bronco, grab rail. It was radical, I could just hear everybody yelling and screaming and I knew it was a, a special wave and sure enough, he got the cover and yeah, he got one of the best waves of the whole swell. And, and I looked at him and I told him, you're out of here. He's all Really? I'm like, yeah. It's been out all day. They haven't even sniffed a wave like that. You're done. Go to the boat. Be a hero. Boom. That was a badass ride, son. I mean, <laughs> that was gigantic. He got on the cover of Surfer Mag, son. So the guys on this wave blowout, Mark Healy, Cole Christensen, Dave Wassel, Nate Fletcher, Kalani Chapman, Borg Garcia... I mean, these guys mean business, son. So then I watch another one, the Monster Big Wave Towing Invitational with my boy Makua Rothman and all of his heavy hitter surf buddies. They only go big wave, son. Shane Dorian is arguably the best big wave surfer in the world, maybe of all time. He hasn't towed in over a decade. Nathan Florence, with almost no experience towing, is a leader of the new generation of big wave riders, charging at places like the feared Chopu in Tahiti. Makuakai Rothman is the prince of the North Shore. Two-time world big wave champion, he brings a vast reservoir of local knowledge to his performance and selection of the best place to surf on any given day. Billy Kemper's bonafides include being three-time champion at Piahi, the feared wave on Maui, also known as Jaws. 
An advocate of paddle and surfing, he's a leading force in the Big Wave World Tour and hasn't towed in in years. The whole inspiration for the event is Kai Lenny, perhaps the best all-around waterman in the world. He is currently on the leading edge of performance tow and surfing in big ways. These guys are just the who's who of heavy hitters on surfboards. Sure, sure. I mean, there's no seven miles in the world with big waves like this. So I, I, there's one place to do this and go out with, you know, a handful of the best big wave surfers in the world, try to ride some big waves. This is definitely it. Toe surfing was made where paddle surfing stopped. You know, that's what it was created for, where you only can go and do so many things, paddle surfing, drop in, bottom turn, pull in. On a tow board, you're gonna be ripping, turning. I mean, you never know, somebody could do the biggest, craziest air in the whole entire world. And you know, it might change back to high performance. Towing surfing might be the elite thing again, you know? So, you know, things tend to follow suit and fall back into place. Different clothes come back into trend and, you know, seems like toe surfing's coming back thanks to Bradakai over here doing a lot of progressive maneuvers and pushing the envelope and uh, doing things that a lot of people haven't seen. That's my boy Makua Rodman getting all involved and showing people what's up. So Makua gets to roll up in the air and check out the Gandhi swells in a heli, Ferelli. Go up in the helicopter and um, check out the waves, assess the situation on the North Shore to see what uh, what spot's gonna be um, giving us the best opportunity to perform the best on the waves today. Um, we got a great group of guys. Today's gonna be all about having fun, being safe, and uh, trying to push the limits of towing surfing. I see it's nice and clean on the face. Um, we can find somewhere that's rippable, I think, so it's not going to be that hard if, you know, the swell's still here. There's different ways of checking the waves, you know, usually we get to pull right up at the spot, look at it straight on, and um, jumping in the heli with the bird's eye view is unbelievable. This is, this is a special treat right here. Oh, well, this is a seven-mile miracle, you know, this is the uh, best waves in seven miles in the world, I think best best waves period in the world and uh you know you got pipeline waimea bay hala iwa sunset backyards belzy land i mean you got all the best places in the world right here we just gotta find one and pick it today you know they will that's my boy makua he's been on my show back in the day when i was on howard 101 he came on my show one night for an hour and talked about Big wave surfing, and he also writes music, sings in a band. He's just a all-around badass. He's got kids, the whole deal. And he's one of the most dangerous big wave surfers in the whole world. The guy's got just grapefruit-sized nuts. I mean, this guy goes off 100-foot waves like it's nothing, son. He's living on the edge. Living on the edge. So these dudes are toe surfing, and they got mics on the jet skis and on their persons, and it's pretty fun watching it. As Makua toes outside to catch a bigger one, Kai finds a warm-up wave. Hey, Kai! Woo! You could hear 
the ferocity of it, right? I mean, it was just badass. I mean, these bros are riding 40-foot waves. It is just crazy, 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 crazy. I mean, the views from these jet skis and from these helicopters flying overhead into this blue water. It's the bluest water you ever seen in your life. It's so magnificent. It's erotic. I mean, it is absolutely sterling. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, ever. And there's like 50 shades of blue, and the waves are just ferocious for the ferocious. I love watching Makua surf, too. He's so fast and so graceful, so quick, gets so low, does all these dangerous cuts and rips, and he just parties when he's doing it. He just absolutely gets off and just has so much fun. He's just always having a blast and just mahalo, bagalulu. These dudes put on a show like nobody's business, and they're all just going off. And it's so absolutely scintillating watching them all serve at the same time. They're serving in tandem, everything else, and having such a ball. And what's crazy is it just goes to show you how wicked Hawaii is. And that's why you got to go to the islands and ride the lightning, son. It ain't no joke. So my boy Makua's had all kinds of beatdowns over the years. No stranger to heavy holddowns, he experienced an even worse life-threatening wipeout last year in Fiji. We get out there, I seen the set pop up. This is the wave. You could just tell how big it was. So I dropped in and went straight to the bottom and kind of shaved off some speed. Cranked a big bottom turn, squared up with it, and I was just like, oh. Ready to ready to rock, you know, flying, bang, bang, and then that board, it just started slowing down. It just board tapped out max speed. I mean, your board, you know, it's just, and the waves sucking, and it's just so intense and going, and it's just, everything happens so fast, it's silent. As I felt the board slowing down, and myself start falling, I was like, I gotta try and pull this out. Sometimes you can kind of lean on a wave, like when you grab real backside. Big waves, you can kind of like press against it. Yeah, all that was a good theory, but none of it happened. Ended up getting caught up by the foam ball and spinning like a top on my back and my board was stuck on my feet for so long. So I thought, oh my goodness, I gotta get my feet out of this board. I just kick, 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 and I, I got my foot out. And the last thing I remember was a glimpse of the channel. All I seen was this humongous barrel, and my back foot was still stuck in the strap. And finally, as I was going over backwards, and it was taking me, sucking me back over, I got that foot out of the strap. After that, it was just... I mean, no human, no nothing can shake you like that. It's Mother Nature in all of her glory, just putting the whoop into my backside. The most violent thrashing and I tried to cut, I pulled a canister, I had my inflatable vest, I just could not get my head out of the water. I don't know what it was, it was like I was stuck right there. And finally I got my head out of the water and took one breath and all I seen when I opened my eyes was the lip of the next wave and that thing was just frothy, just ugly mutant behind and it just was like, come up, woo, right back down and I mean, Boom, right back down. I don't know how long I was on there, but that was a long time. And uh, made it to the surface. Kai Garcia is right there. 
I jumped on the ski. In order to be prepared for such intense big wave holddowns, Makua trains extensively to get his body in top physical shape. Guy trains by going underwater with giant boulders and holding himself underwater for minutes at a time because sometimes they can get dragged down under the water and be down there for that long. Most people, normal people, you and me, we couldn't even go out there. They wouldn't even let you out there. You'd be dead within five minutes. But these guys know how to do it because they are the best of the best. And they are completely fearless. They are afraid of nothing. They get off on these kind of swells and conditions. The more dangerous, the better they are. And the more danger, the more they want a piece of it. I love when Makua starts talking about his boards like they're his lovers. From experience, Makua knows that the only control he has as a surfer is his relationship with his surfboard. This is a board that, that my life depends on sometimes, you know, and my relationship with my board starts with my shaper. And you gotta put all of your trust in them to create a special tool, weapon, whatever you wanna call it. It's their sled, it's their blade, it's their whatever, it's their girlfriend, you know, and. Yeah, you have to have a good relationship with your board. A magic board would be the board that works the best for you. You call it your magic board. It's the one that works the best. It's the one that you know the best. It's one that you can ride without thinking, basically. That's why we call it the magic board, because it just does what you need it to do, even if you're not doing it sometimes. It still will recorrect for you, does some things that might seem to be magic, because you're like, how did I just pull that off? You know, I had no chance of that, and the board just, it did its thing. You know, Jerry Lopez shaped me a board that changed my life forever. A board that caught the 66-foot wave when I was a kid. In 2002, at just 18 years old, Makua had enough trust in his surfboard to surf through a 66-foot monster wave at Jaws, winning the XXL Big Wave of the Year Award. Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. You know, there's so many people that could care less about surfing, but the ones that do know about it at all, they always pick Kelly Slater as their guy. And I won't deny Kelly's an absolute king and badass, but Makua was always my favorite surfer, and he's the coolest dude in the world. The guy was normal with me. Even though he was rock star status, he still came on my show. 
hung out, did the whole thing, went from start to finish, belly to belly, did an hour, was singing songs, telling funny stories, laughing, joking, talking about everything in his life and all the great waves he's ridden and all of his friends he's made and what it means to his life and talking about his family and talking about his kids and his music. He just was so real and so down. That's why I liked him the most. I always root for him and I'm always concerned about him because he's living such a dangerous existence on this earth, riding these 60, 70, 80 foot waves and barrels and toe surfing he's so outrageous that anything could happen any day and he knows it he respects the ocean believe me he knows who's boss out there that water means business watching this dude kai do aerials on a surfboard and flying 20 feet in the air and doing double helis and landing and sticking these moves in front of tons of people on the shore watching him freaking out it was just basically erotic. On his final wave, Kai free falls into the flats. He disappears into the white water, seemingly done for, but he pulls it. For Kai, it's finally time to call it a day. We weren't satisfied with what we got the previous session. I think just didn't find the mojo. Um, we went out to uh, kind of just get a pickup shot and got a couple waves of Puana and then, hey, let's go check Kaliva and what a privilege it is to be able to go tow into a couple waves at Ali'i Beach. Um, the only way you could ever do that though is with Derek and this whole crew. So for me, it was like, oh, I gotta get at least one. I knew that. And I got one and I'm like, hey, can we get two? And then we got in this rhythm and um, I wasn't landing all my stuff, but I landed a couple airs and a couple good turns. And it was just so fun just being on this lap train. And it was just Derek and I, I think we always have our best sessions when no one's around really. And it's just us doing our thing. It's pretty incredible. That was fun. What it was was badass. And all those people that had no idea who he was, they just sat there with their jaws dropped open, watching this guy freak out and get big air. And it's just sickening watching these dudes bust off their moves. The one thing about them you notice is they have phenomenal power in their legs. Their quads are enormous, their calves, their legs are so ripped, they're bigger and stronger than NBA players. These surfers, they're so ripped below the waist from their feet all the way to their hips. They're so powerful, they can dunk easily because they get off and fly through the air 25 feet. It's crazy just seeing their legs are so powerful on these boards and the stuff they pull off is just miraculous. Anyone else couldn't do it. You have to be absolutely a freak of nature and blessed, basically. So then I watched this fly in a champagne where they talk about Kelly Slater, multiple world championships. I lost count after 11. And then his top competitor always was Andy Irons. So, of course, Bruce Irons, they had this huge rivalry and they were going at it. This is 2002, 2003, and Kelly had taken like a three-year hiatus and he wasn't surfing for the world championship he wasn't going for it he was taking a break and then irons took over the world of surfing 
And then Kelly came back to take him on. In 2002, Annie and I had a really, like, we had a lot of friction between us. They would ask me about it, and I'd be like, you know what, I don't want to talk about him, you know? He, he won all that stuff back in the day, and, you know, that was then, this is now. I think going into 2002, Kelly, for him, that was almost uh, sort of a year back and, and recharging his batteries, trying to figure out what it was like to compete again, because he hadn't done it for quite some time. And it probably came to him as a shock how quickly um, Andy became such a dominant force. At that point, I think it kind of turned. And, and then it let the media natu naturally did what it did and, and helped really, you know, fuel the fire of that, that you know, rivalry. King's world champion, Andy I won 2002. And then, yeah, that's when all of the media I was trying to get used to, but 2003 was wild. I remember reading so much stuff that Kelly had said, and I remember seeing stuff in like Sports Illustrated wrote a total bias article that made me look horrible, and they fabricated a bunch of stuff, which I thought was really heavy because not even surf mags were doing what Sports Illustrated, this giant magazine, wrote. You know, it's funny because in ways it was totally blown out of proportion in the media, the, the tension between us. And in other ways, people didn't know about it, and it was made more than people thought. I ended up kind of running with it and just kind of going, you know what? Yeah, f Kelly. <laughs> when you become obsessed with being the best you can be and winning, you have to come at every angle you can come up with or figure out his good, bad, and ugly of how I'm going to take this guy down. He's read all those books. I guaranteed it on the, you know, the art of war, how to get in the other, you know, competitor's head. He denies it, and I know he'll say he doesn't do it, but there's no doubt about it. There was a time I went over to house it off the wall, and it was the house he was staying at or whatever. I didn't even know it. I just, I thought that, um, I thought this guy that worked for Boost was staying there. Somebody's like, yeah, Damien's staying at that house. He shows up at my house, walks right in, asking for some guy named Damien. I'm like, what? Damien? And he knew I was staying there. He knew, I mean, I'm pretty sure he knew. And Andy was making food in the, in the kitchen, and Steve Sherman was there, and he, like, slyly took a photo of it. Yeah, the infamous photo. To me, it seemed like a little bit of a mind game. Like, he was stalking, checking out my territory and see what was going on. Because he took it that way, I realized, like, whoa, this is, like, heavier than I even thought. Those guys were at each other's throats mentally, like, watching it, and, like, it was that close to seeming like it was going to turn over into being something even more, like, physical. We were out practicing for the contest, just out warming up a pipe, and it was a pretty crowded day. And he was pounding for the wave, and I flipped around and backed him up, and he missed it, and I caught it. And I fell back out, and he just started screaming at me. Just light me up in the water in front of everybody. It was pretty funny. My whole driving force right now is to take his little pretty picture and just crush it. You can tell they just didn't like each other. It was war on the surf, and they were just at each other's throats. I thought they were going to start punching each other in the mouth. 
I thought Andy was incredible, but he never did what Kelly Slater did over the long haul. Kelly was better. I thought that when Kelly was a kid coming out of Florida, he had that Gandhi surfer hair. So when he was young, he was adorable. Even 34C was digging his look. And then when he got into his 30s, he was bald. And then I think she may have fallen for Andy at that point. Andy was kicking Kelly's ass in 03 and 04 and was just knocking Slater off his porch and everywhere else, in the water, in the crib, with the girls. He had it all. He was in his head. It seemed like, even though he was beating it, it seemed like Slater was still in his head. Irons was obsessed with him. At least Kelly admits it, that it was starting to affect him. Losing is where you start to learn about yourself. Losing's where the good, you know, the good stuff happens inside. Then came 05. How gnarly he can be when he gets on a roll. And how he literally just, it's so hard to get him off it. Later was winning everything. Basically saying, how do you like me now? Jeffries was another good one, but you know, unfortunately, Andy was like really, really bummed at that contest, you know? Kelly needed a 9.3 and he did three turns that were, you know, pretty good and he fell on his fourth and I was on the beach and I saw the wave and I was like, there's no way they could give him a score, but I couldn't hear him. And they gave him a 9.5 and I saw him claiming it in the water. I was like, there's no way. And I was in disbelief. My other score was a little under bald, maybe. So <laughs> maybe they gave me a little. I mean, I was really stoked when I won it. But afterwards, I was kind of bummed, you know, because Andy was so bummed. You know, I've been in the same case. I've had a heat against him in France where I should have lost. I should have lost in the semifinals against him. He surfed a lot sharper and, and I got overscored on my last wave. I needed an eight five and got a nine. These dudes definitely had a war going on for sure. So Irons had won like three titles and then Kelly finally beat him in 05. And then Irons admits he basically got burned out and couldn't keep up with the rat race anymore. So stoked with about that fourth one. The one you don't get is always the one you want the most. And uh, but, you know, the next year he won by like a thousand points. Like I wasn't even close to him. To be on top, to be there all the time, you always know somebody wants to beat you, somebody wants to take you down, and that pressure, it's either gonna make or break a person. I caught myself getting you know, less interested and started partying a lot, and then kind of got in a bad slump and then lost pretty much all interest in the whole competitive thing. It just wasn't fun to me anymore, I was miserable. It like made me change my surfing. I didn't have fun surfing anymore. I'd go you know, weeks without surfing. And I've never had that happen in my life. Where surfing's been the only thing that's been there for me. Nonstop, 100%, I could always count on surfing. It's always I've been there for me for you know good and bad times, no matter what. Where now I didn't even want to surf. I was just kind of over it. Just burnt, fried. So that was hard. I mean, I guess it happens, right? And these guys, they go at it so long, so hard, so fiercely, and the competition and eventually gets in your head, drives you nuts, and then if you lose, it's hard to get back on top, and then sometimes you snap and don't even want to go for it anymore. 
Sonny Garcia, Rob Machado all gave Slater competition in his career, but nothing like Andy Irons did, that's for sure. Eventually, the two bitter rivals went on a trip together and put it all down, all their rivalry and intensity and hatred for one another, and went to Indonesia just to surf and hang out and get to know each other and try to be friends. They went on this 10-day trip. They buried the hatchet, and they went rocks off in the water and just surfed their balls off. Just watching all these guys surfing and their rivalries and their sponsors and their tournaments and their travel all over the world to the greatest spots on earth to surf and these gigantic waves and barrels and tube rolls and everything and toe surfing. It's just so absolutely phenomenal and kick-ass. If I would have never been into doing radio and TV and sports and talk shows and wanting to be Howard Cosell when I was a little kid. If there's one thing I love more than anything in the world, it was surfing. Even if it was just that I sucked at it, just trying it, I got off on it. I was never good enough. I was scared to death. It was so hard and so violent. I got beat up and got whacked around and pelted and smashed with surfboards in the head and got dragged on the bottom of the ocean and on coral and you name it. It just is no joke, but it's something that I always wanted to do and always wanted to be a surfer. I just was never any good at it, but if there was one thing I ever wanted to do, it would be that. I love skateboarding and surfing. And then you get old and you can't do it anymore and it passes you by. But it was something that I always wanted to do and I just love watching it. I can't get enough watching these guys ply their trade and surf and just the gorgeousness of it and how breathtaking it is just blows my mind. I've never gotten sick of watching surfing and they never show it on TV. They never show surfing. You have to search it out. You have to go find it because network television doesn't do it. Cable television doesn't do it. It's a different world altogether. Surfers are badasses. All these surfers always stick together like a band of wolves, too. They travel together. They surf together. They go to the best spots together. They're all dudes with killer do's and killer looks. And they got that sun beating down skin and chicks dig them. They got the life. I'm telling you what. Have you ever seen Kelly Slater? He's got that surf park in Cali. He makes his own waves, and it just goes all day long, 24 hours a day, these giant rolling waves. They're like surf parks. It's absolutely ingenious. I truly think one of the coolest things I've ever seen in sports is watching these dudes ride barrels. I mean, it's magical. And on the islands they go to, I just want to live there forever. Just to be on those exotic islands, copping rays, doing nothing, chilling the most, and surfing. Are you kidding me? It's just the life. That's why I always go to those tropical islands. That's why I like going down as far south as I can go, whether it's in the Lesser Antilles, Tahiti, Hawaii. There's no place on earth like the Hawaiian Islands. That's all there is to it. It's absolutely just the best. 
There's nothing that even comes close to it. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed my foray into the world of surfing. Just a little taste for you on what I wanted to be if I wasn't what I am. I'm cool with it. Let me know if you ever want to go surfing. Grab your board, throw it on the back of the truck, put it on top of the car, whatever you got to do. Find yourself a kick-ass island with some killer swells and go ripping. Just wax up your board, son, and let's go get some fat waves and just ride all day, son, and cop rays. It's the FOTB podcast. Shake it. Want to be the next Daily Fantasy Millionaire? Dunk on your NBA DFS competition with DailyRoto.com and dominate on FanDuel and DraftKings this season. Compete with the pros with DailyRoto.com, Optimizer, and the most accurate projections in NBA DFS, plus lineup alerts, breaking news, late swap support, and much more. Save 10% on winning NBA DFS advice with promo code DUNK. Visit DailyRoto.com backslash DUNK to learn more. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.